time for us to sort of reorient ourselves, to kind of recenter uh, and direct our lives. Because I have this sort of understanding that we go out and we get kind of swept up by whatever's happening in our world. We don't. It's hard to live intentionally and without moments where we kind of remind ourselves of what we believe in, where we want to go, we can find ourselves just kind of swept along. So tonight's a time to sort of remember who we are, remember what we're trying to be as we live, and my hope is to be able to share some of my heart with you about why I'm on uh, the Mosaic journey tonight. And we're, we're starting with this Radical Roots series, which has been taglined. I don't know if this is the official name because we've changed it so many times. Called learning to follow Jesus from the Anabaptist tradition. And it's a lot of words, but, but essentially what we're trying to do is learn from those who have gone before us. And I'll share with you why that's especially important for us in Mosaic. So I want to go in a time machine and take you a little bit on my journey uh, with Mosaic and how we actually ended up coming to this place of writing the manifesto, which is a document I found amazing. Uh, but after all, it's, just, it's, a, it's another living document we have here. Um, I feel like you have to have a manifesto if you want to be a part of any of that, right? Uh, so that's what we got. And so I want to take you a little bit on, on, a, on a path of how we actually wrote it and some of the thinking behind it, but I'm only one perspective, right? Like, this is my view, and it'll be biased, and a lot of other people in this room will have a view, and that's great. So I want that discussion to come out later. So we'll have me, then dessert and discussion. So that's probably where the meat will come out. So I came to New Zealand in 2008, with three other Americans, and we jumped on a plane and flew over here to make sure that New Zealanders knew the gospel according to America. They really liked all these other versions that were getting out, so we came to make sure that, that the right one was followed. Um, I'm only partially joking, so. No, we, we, we were part of an evangelical organization uh, on campuses that were working with university students. That's actually how I know Jeremy. Uh, and when we came, we were, we were trying to find a, a community, a faith community, a church, as we call it, to, to be a part of. But I was struggling. See, I come from the land of megachurches, and anything that smelled like it was influenced from America was having, I was having a hard time with. Uh, and so I was looking for churches, and I was pretty hungry to find a place. And so we were on a, um, a train. We thought that's what people did in New Zealand, took trains to Auckland. Turns out it was 12 hours. We had a lot of time. And, uh, so we were listening to a podcast from a speaker in the States that Lace and I are a big, uh, we, we followed back then quite a lot, uh, who was part of Mosaic LA. And he was speaking and just happened to throw out this reference about the mosaic in Wellington, which was pretty crazy. So then, I think I've told this story before, Lacey picked up the phone and we got back to Wellington and called Phil until he uh, picked up the phone like four times, I think, before we couldn't understand his voicemail, I think, as the story goes, because we first came here and Kiwis just seemed to mumble to us, and voicemail was really bad, so basically like, I don't know what he said, I don't know what he said. <laughs> so we kept calling him, eventually we found out where the gathering was, and Mosaic was, was gathering then in a cafe that's it was on Lampton Keys. Random cafe next to a gym. I can't even remember what it was called. The Loft. The Loft. There you go. That gives you... What's there now? What's in the Loft space? I've never been there before. I'm not sure if it exists anymore. <laughs> it could be. Anyway, so we, we walk in, and I've, we have been looking for churches. We've been to a lot of communities by this point. Actually, we had been to St. Matt, which was an amazing experience, because I really wanted to see an Anglican community in New Zealand. Uh, we definitely lowered the average significantly when we went to St. Matt. 
uh, and this was 10 years, almost 10 years ago. We walk into Mosaic, and I remember being struck uh, at the gathering just by the fact that one was in cafe, and we had a shared meal, right? I was very nervous, and Phil would tell you the story that uh, Lacey's like the bubbling golden retriever, right? Out, out in front, just meeting everybody, and I was clinging to the other Americans as best as I could because I just didn't really know what to make of this group, right? And it took me a while before I started to get comfortable, but one thing that happened is that someone got up and spoke at Mosaic, similar to this, and they started talking about life, which was weird. And they started talking about how to live well, which was strange, and then talking about mental health, like what it, what it, like how to, how to live well with ourselves. I was like, you don't do this at church. This isn't a thing I normally came across, right? Like, it stood out to me, like there was something different about it. And then we, we talked about it over a meal, and I'm like, people relating? Like, what's, what's happening here? Like, we're, uh, it was weird for me, it threw me. And I remember being just struck by, by this sort of immediate focus on life. Because, see, I had been really hungry, hungry for a conversation about faith, which wasn't about life after death only. Right? I was looking for a community that was like, how do we live here and now? What does that look like? And How does Jesus inform it? And all of a sudden I'm in this group of people who were discussing this. And not only discussing life, but had this hardcore belief, uh, that, that um, quote of Jesus we put up on the screen. If I was to characterize some of my early exposure to Mosaic, one of the things that stood out to me was this, that Jesus came to bring us life and life to the full, this abundant life that, you know, all these ideas we have about Jesus and religion seem to get mixed up and we start to think that Jesus isn't really about living well here, that Jesus is sort of focused just on, a, on a, another, another place. I can flick back. And, <laughs> and, and so I just remember being taken aback by this, this focus on life, which sounds strange, I know, but, but nine years ago, this was revolutionary for me. And it started to warm me up to say, like, all right, what's this community going to be like? And, and so it wasn't just that they were focused on living well, but that they were focused on following Jesus. And I got a little bit swept up in this. So the first thing that we did uh, when we were apart was we actually studied the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and I don't know if you guys remember, some of you were here, right? We, we met in Spiro St. Catherine's um, house. We used to just get together every Wednesday and start to wrestle with how you actually live the teachings of Jesus, which... I know it's really strange, but like this was way different than most Bible studies and things I've been a part of. I, mean, I come through the evangelical tradition, we spent most of our time arguing about right theology and uh, you know Calvinism and all sorts of things, all, all sorts of big theologically labeled ideas. We didn't spend a lot of time looking at Jesus. In fact, even in university, I remember I read a book about Jesus' life and it like totally threw me. I was like, I didn't know Jesus did that. You know, like, it was just, I'd spent so much time in the thinking that to get into a place that called me into action was quite challenging. I mean, I remember when we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we had this time where Jesus said, let your yes be yes. And as an American who likes to please people, I just remember we as a community took this on board, right? You know, if you're going to say you're going to meet someone for coffee, you better meet them for coffee. Like, you know, be, be true to your word, because that matters. And I remember being like, oh man, like, <laughs> it's so simple, yet I, I haven't really uh, considered that. You know, I hadn't really considered that Jesus might have something to say about my coffee appointments, right? Like, it seemed like he was mostly concerned with um, who believes that he rose again. You know, like, these, these, like, key theological things that are really important, but also that his life mattered. 
and that was something that really captivated me when I when I came to Mosaic. And the, one of the things that really stuck out is that we had this thing we borrowed from Mosaic LA, which is this kind of call to who we are, which is love God, love people. And in early in our early days of Mosaic, it was just something we said every time we gathered. Right, this is the key to to, to our faith: love of God, love of people. And so we set out really to be a community that took that love and, and made it realized in Wellington. We were definitely a community who was passionate about doing something for the common good in the city. We didn't want to be just a Sunday group, right? We wanted to be a group that was out there serving, bringing life. In fact, we spent a lot of time studying the concept of shalom in Scripture. And I summarize it now as wholeness. That God cares about the overall well-being of humanity and creation together. And so that really inspired us to get out there. Because in Mosaic, we had these core beliefs. One of them being that God is on mission. And if you've been with us for, a, I don't know, probably even for a few weeks, you've probably heard somebody say something like this. Uh, we have a very missional view of God. And so we get swept up in joining God in that mission, that God's actually at work making beautiful things out of the dust. Right? Like that's who God is, and that's what inspired us to get out there. But over time, one thing started to happen, right? I think anyone who's done any sort of pursuit of the good of others for any period of time knows it gets hard. And it gets tiring, and your energy gets low. And so during my journey with Mosaic, we really emphasized this core belief about uh, that God is on mission. Mission is why the church exists, is actually the core values that we usually stated. And something was happening is that we realized that over time, we started to lose some of the focus on Jesus, right? You get busy focused on the doing, and you don't really focus too much on, on what's flowing through you, who, who's actually empowering you through it. And so we reached this point a few years back when we actually were reimagining Mosaic, which is kind of like a dirty term, I think, because it was such a long and painful process for people. Uh, we were actually calling into question some of the things that we had been fueling us. And one of the things that was getting challenged to us was that we were questioning how much we separated mission from worship. And so I actually was having a conversation with a close friend of mine, and he, he was asking me during this time, I, he just said, uh, I want to know, is Mosaic going to be a being community or doing community? Who are you? And that question stuck me because I just was like, man, What's happened to us that we think we can separate those two things? That we think we can actually separate worship from action? That we can separate uh, how we love God and how we love people? Like, are, are you going to love people or are you going to love God? Right? We, we would never say that. We, we have this belief that's come out of that, that's informed the manifesto, that how we worship God informs how we love people, and how we love people informs our worship. Like there's this kind of cycle of, of movement, a dynamic nature of worship and action being brought together. And I think one thing that happened over time, and you'll see this uh, in the manifesto, we, we've talked about God is on mission, that uh, we follow Jesus into that mission. That it's our worship and love of Jesus that's going to fuel us forward. I think one thing that came is that when we got to a point after being a community for five or six years, uh, we realize that when you focus purely on mission, uh, there's a shallowness and a dryness to your faith that can materialize, especially if you don't really focus on rhythms and living and how that can look. 
and some of some people in our community, myself included, would articulate that that there's a shallowness to our faith, and, and that really I think woke us up. And so in the manifesto, you'll see the, a, a, a big focus on breathe on activities we call breathing in, things that I think in church they call formational activities, things that you do to remember who it is that you follow. So if Jesus is at the center of this, if Jesus is the one who's leading us out into the world, if Jesus is the radical, the initial, the initial radical uh, who, who created this revolution of love, how do we follow him into that mission? We have to start with love of Jesus. And so in, in our manifesto, we were wrestling with this idea that we all follow Jesus on our own. Right, we, we all do this. We all have to have practices, practices that we do in our own life to fuel that fear. Uh, not, not like in a religious guilt-shaming kind of did you, but it's sort of like if you got a friend who you don't catch up with, are you really friends? Do you really like them? You know? like, it's just simple stuff, and I know it's simple. I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to preach it anymore because this is totally to me. Right? Most of this message and why we wrote the Manifesto Down is because I keep forgetting this. <laughs> and so mostly tonight I'm talking to myself. <laughs> I've really struggled to just remember that it's out of love that I do these things, right? And, and mission and action, this mission even makes sense. Doing anything where we focus on another, anytime, any small act, when you put the other in the view, anytime we do that, uh, I think there's all sorts of strings and things that can drain us. And so Bonhoeffer challenged us during this time that says, if it's not for Christ, if you're trying to love the person for their sake, or even for your sake, it all gets poisoned. It's only through Jesus can we actually love. And that's a challenge that, that really was, it kind of drove home to us during the writing of the manifesto. We were looking at our state, asking ourselves, how did we get here? You know, what is this going on in us? And so we, we said to ourselves, you know, we can only follow Jesus alone. We all have to individually commit, but we need, our, we need each other that we can all face this kind of picture of who Jesus is and work it out together, what it means to follow Jesus and discover life in Him. And another thing we realized during the course of writing the manifesto is that we were a pretty disconnected community. Most of us are post-church people, right? We used to be a part of a different community and we've come here. And we came, I came here because of how engaging it was for me to be able to work out my faith alongside others. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Once I tasted it, once I tasted it, the ability to actually get together in a room and wrestle with stuff and actually worship authentically, like find ways that were true to us to creatively express our faith, to, to find ways of engaging us with our different personality types, all of that to me was, was, was very engaging. But what we realized is that our connection to Mosaic was starting to, uh, in LA, was getting a little weaker over time. Relationships were changing out, and it was a mostly relationally based model. We realized that we were disconnected from the larger church tradition. And from not just that, but from other people, really. Other people who were practicing their faith, who were asking themselves, what does it mean to follow Jesus today for us? And we realized how much we need that. Because I don't know if in your own life, when you get lost, what do you do? You talk to your friends, right? You go talk to other people so you don't get self-referential. Like, so you don't just get lost in your own, own muck and you keep referring to your brain, which is what got you lost in the first place, right? So you just keep cycling. You need some way out of the cycle. And so what we realize is that in this, in this place of reimagining mosaic, we said we've got to get connected to other traditions to find 
other people who are on this journey with us, other movements, so we can discuss it. And the Anabaptist tradition in this movement was one of them that sparked for us as we've come out of this. I'd say if I would summarize a little bit of where we were when we were writing the manifestos, we realized two key things. Uh, I think we realized there was a shallowness to a lot of our faith, and that we were disconnected from, from a wider movement. And those two things kind of played into a, to a reimagining. Well, when I say reimagining, I often, often mean remembering. Because when we set out, I think we were about three things that were really important. We were about living uh, life to this fullness in Jesus. Remembering that Jesus actually does want us to live life well. To not make Jesus into that person who's like your dad, who didn't let you do what you wanted to, but you had to obey. Right? Like I think often I can make Jesus into some religious figure, some authority who doesn't want the best for me. And I project all sorts on him. But to remember that Jesus actually cares about living life well, that's so to the core of who we are as mosaic. And that's why we've focused on running things like mental health workshops, speaking about emotional intelligence, things you probably often hear in a faith community, but we think it's crucial because we think God cares about here and now, right? That Jesus taking on flesh was like a big stamp of affirmation of material existence. And I think that's radical and amazing. And I think we are all about loving each other, loving people, loving God, love people. That's sort of one of our cries. And I think we learned that in order to do that, we have to continue to worship together and, and find out what that means. And then the last is just around wholeness, is being a community that continues to care about the outsider who's broken as well as broken as, uh, as we are and needs to be brought to that state of wholeness. So the thing that I, I think what we're trying to do in this journey is, is sort of recapture mission and action, uh, action and worship. And... One thing that Simon and I, we were really lucky, we got to do a, um, a course together uh, online uh, about church history. And what was fascinating for me, I think I've probably said this to you, is when I was studying church history, we were studying all these like reformations, right? They all happen. There's all sorts of miniature ones and big ones. The church is always in a state of reimagining itself. It, it's just natural. It's a part of what any one, any group has to do to survive. And so the church is no exception. It's been doing it since the beginning. But one thing that stood out to me is the ones that really resonated with me were the, were, the, were the ones where people just took seriously the life and words of Jesus. And they would do that. And it would call to question like everything they did. And all of a sudden they would look completely radical. And not that being radical was the point. Following Jesus was the point. But following Jesus, Jesus made them radical because Jesus was radical. And, you know, you look at St. Francis. Like, he just... He just took Jesus seriously. And all of a sudden, yeah, he started talking to animals. That was probably a little bit on the crazier side. But he took <laughs> Jesus seriously, and he changed, radically changed his life. And then I look at the Jesuits. You know, It's like St. Ignatius took Jesus seriously and started caring about people practicing their faith out in life and writes the exercises and, and, and empowers people to actually start doing that, to get into the life of Jesus. And the Anabaptists took Jesus seriously. Right? And then they just throw away a lot of tradition that no longer mattered. What was at the center was Jesus. He was following this one who was the original radical. Not for the sake of being radical, but for the sake of life and love. That Jesus is the way that we actually love. And I think that's something I need to remember. And I was so thankful for the chance to reflect. Because this is what actually uh, drew me in the first place. 
is that what we crave, right? We crave this acceptance. I crave acceptance is one of my deep things, right? I, I, I long to be loved by my friends, by my family. That love is found in Jesus. It is one of the core messages of our faith. And, and I think forgetting that, forgetting that this love uh, flows through us out is one of the things that can trip us off and has tripped me up in the past. And it's been a great reminder. So that's enough talking for me. I actually can't talk to you about the importance of taking Jesus' word seriously without reading you something Jesus actually said. Um, that's the important thing I desire. And this passage is stuck with me because when it comes to talking about worship and action, and like you know how we're always just wanting, like no one ever says this uh, publicly, but people want to see some sort of sign of their success, like sign that what they're doing matters. I do. I'm a real big sucker for feedback, right? Like, you just want to know that, that what you, you want to taste the fruit, right? That's an old kind of expression. And I have struggled personally with the fact that you get a lot of signs that it doesn't matter in life. That what you're doing doesn't really make a difference. And it's easy to get hopeless. It's easy to get wore down and burnt out from that, uh, which I go through many cycles of. And in one of my cycles of uh, leaning towards hopelessness, this passage came to me. And it's um, stuck with me, and I feel like it's a metaphor for us uh, as a community, because I'm pretty prone to project my stuff onto the rest of you. Um, so you can, you can kind of come with me here. But Jesus, uh, in, the, in the Gospel of John, uh, a little bit earlier is where he talks about, I've come to have that they may have life and life to the full. But now he picks up with this, the vine and the branches. And I just want you to listen in light of this idea of joining worship and mission. And kind of reflecting on the fact that what we're doing as a community uh, is learning again how to follow Jesus in life. How to discover life in Jesus together. Uh, and here's some words that Jesus would have for us. Uh, and then we'll have a little bit of a, a break for dessert and then time to discuss it. So Jesus said this. I am the real vine. And my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. But separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who's separated from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who He is. When you produce grapes, when you, when you mature as my disciples, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in His love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy may be your joy, and your joy wholly mature. This is my command, love one another the way I have loved you. 
That is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from my father. You didn't choose me, remember. I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command. Love one another.